0: You're listening to That'll Preach. I'm Brian. I'm joined by Paul and we... Actually, I'm joined by Dr. Paul Rezkala. That's true. Paul Rezkala just received his doctorate in women's studies. Is <laughs> that right? So, that's so bad. It was 18th century Russian dance. I got a real doctorate. i so offended. Yeah, right, yeah, you got a real doctorate in what? A doctor of philosophy in philosophy, the way we he was philosoph- intended to be. There you go. We have a philosopher on this podcast... And uh, we have been on a bit of a hiatus.
1: I know. Do you think anyone actually missed us? Uh,
0: I don't know. Probably but, not. But <laughs> uh, if you haven't done so already, we are actually on a separate channel. We used to be on the 4 Oaks Midtown podcast channel, but now we have a separate stream. So make sure you subscribe to that. Uh, you're probably listening to this episode still on the 4 Oaks Midtown podcast. We're going to sort of post them on both for a little bit, just maybe one or two weeks. And then we're going to make the switch. So if you're looking on the 4 Oaks podcast, you know, page. You're not going to find our stuff, our newer episodes anymore. You've got to actually subscribe to the, that'll preach podcast. And uh, we'll have the link to that in the show notes. But, uh, if you haven't listened to us before, I don't know what you've been doing with your life. But what if people, I mean, could you even call that living? Could you even call that living? Because, <laughs> uh, we, we, we are just an entertaining duo. I, What's I, our new tagline? Our new tagline is- Historically, uh, historically irrelevant, in- no, slightly- no. historically informed. That's right. Slightly, slightly. irreverent. And uh, <laughs> you know, we're just trying to be edgy a little bit. But uh, I mean, we talk about- I mean, I feel like we talk about church history a lot. We do. We talk about uh, theology. We talk about all these things. But we do it- uh, We just kind of go off the cuff. We have no notes in front of us. That's largely true. Yeah. We just kind of- uh, We just say things and we hope people- might tune in and listen. That sounds so bad. Well, we gotta be- uh,
1: But most of it we say is true and entertaining and you know, good stuff.
0: Yeah, good stuff. Okay, why don't you start us off with our- Hot take. Hot take.
1: All right, you ready for this? This is gonna be so- Cheesy. Okay. Because cheese curds are just baby mozzarella sticks. So the hype is overblown.
0: <laughs> I haven't eaten enough cheese curds to make that uh, connection.
1: It's well. So there's a new Culver's in town, and everybody's excited about that. And what is
0: the obsession with Culver's? I mean, I went there one time. I got a root beer float. It was okay. I mean, it was good. I mean, if, I mean, if Culver's is listening, uh, sponsor us.
1: But <laughs> it's got custard, which is a more delicious form of ice cream.
0: What is the difference between custard and...
1: So, this is a great question. Not ice cream. I I it looks different from
0: ice cream, but custard from like um, frozen yogurt or something like that. Oh, I don't know. You mean like frozen custard? Froyo. Froyo
1: is just frozen yogurt. Custard is ice cream with more egg yolk. It's like fattier. Ice cream has egg yolk in it? Yeah. What? Yes, I think. is (laughs)
0: it (laughs) Custard
1: has egg yolk. Maybe that's the difference. Maybe custard has... I kind of want to quickly Google this. I think the difference is just that it has more egg yolk. Or it has egg yolk and ice cream doesn't.
0: It's very strange. Um, but yeah, that's we're off the, the hot take. Oh, yeah. Well, would So cheese curds are mini mozzarella sticks, yeah. so I they have, guess. They I don't, don't have deserve a, all the hype. That's that's not very controversial. I don't feel like that was too... Uh, you didn't lose any... We had a, The whole point of a hot take is by the end of the hot take, we Everybody's should have lost annoyed. some followers. We have no followers. Well... That sounds heretical. It sounds like you're trying to start a cult. I am. You are. I have. You can find uh, out more about that later. Uh, Custard uh,
1: has eggs, sugar, and cornstarch. There you go. All right. All right. That's why it's delicious.
0: How do you feel about that? That you're eating eggs with with uh, Do you eat sugar? Do you eat cake? Do you eat? I actually don't eat cake.
1: You like key lime pie. You know that might have egg yolk. No? Actually, probably not. Never mind. I don't know. What is in a key lime pie? It's just keys and limes. (laughs) That was so bad. Well, in in other news, Paul
0: is actually leaving. You are moving away. I know. Tell the world about that. We're going to continue, though. I'll we're going to, oh yeah yeah, 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 yeah. We're continuing that, the podcast. That so. This is, when we talk about this, it feels like we're talking about a long-term or a long-distance relationship. I'll be like, Paul, don't worry. You'll move away, but we're still, we'll still. It'll work out. It'll we'll be podcast fine. every week. We'll talk. <laughs> I'll write you letters, all that stuff. It, it feels very much like a romantic relationship, which I mean, maybe, maybe this kind of is.
1: If you write me a letter, I would be so excited. Really? Yeah, that would be, I, I, because it's so far removed from anything
0: I think you'd ever do. I would, well, I would be shocked. <laughs> I might surprise you. <laughs> so anyway, but you're going to be, tell us a little bit about what you're doing.
1: I am going to, I'm taking up a new job doing what I was trained to do for six years, which is- Be a gymnast. And annoy people professionally mm-hmm. and be a professional philosopher.
0: And you're going to be where- Molding young minds at Hillsdale College. Hillsdale College.
1: And what's your official title? Uh, that's a good question. Postdoctoral Research
0: Fellow. It took me a while low on the totem pole uh i guess sure yeah <laughs> <laughs> well we're very excited for you but uh, we're gonna miss you but look if you here's the incentive to subscribe to the show if you miss paul rizcala you can hear his voice every single week by by listening to this podcast so i feel like that's a disincentive <laughs> <laughs> we gotta stop being so negative about our own podcast paul. i know well, well, well i i like the podcast i just think my voice is weird That's true. It is weird. Anyway, so today we're going to be starting a new series. uh, Our actually, it's a continuation of a a series. It's a revamp. It's a revamp. Yeah, and uh, it's called All Dead Guys, but this is All Dead Guys Part Two. So, Mm -hmm. if you were with us in our original series that we did, we did about a year ago, uh, we did a series called All Dead Guys, looking at different figures in church history and what they had to say about particular topics. It was more of an overview though. It was more of an overview. Yeah. This time we decided we want to go through and talk about some of the lesser known people in church history that are very, very important. And we want to start very, very close to the beginning of Christianity. Yep. We all know about the apostles. Mm -hmm. Paul, Peter, Luke. No, Luke was an apostle. I always forget that. (laughs) Paul, Peter, James, 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 John, Andrew. All all those those guys, guys, right? We know about those apostles. (laughs) We know the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all those guys. We know that. But sometimes we think that the Bible was written sometime in the first century. Remember, the first century is zero to one hundred. Yeah. Second century is one hundred to two hundred. So confusing. Or the first century is the second century is one to one hundred to two hundred. Yes. So one thing we forget is that the apostles were around. They did their thing. They died. And it wasn't like people just had Bibles around and then fast forward to Martin Luther and then fast forward to the 20th century where we have our Bibles printed in yeah. you know, all these different editions. It's like what happened right after What happened Who right were those after people? Remember these were yeah, these were flesh and blood people. Mm-hmm. So Paul was a church planner. Right. John made disciples. so they actually taught actual real people mm-hmm. in their communities in their towns or whatever the gospel. and then they told them to teach other people about that. Yep. Uh, Paul tells Titus and Timothy to appoint elders or presbyters, or, you know, there's different words for it. Yeah, yeah. But the whole idea is that the gospel is transmitted through people. Right. And not just through people, but through a lineage of authoritative teaching passed down from trusted teachers to other trusted teachers. Mm -hmm. And we forget that. What happened after the apostles? What fills in the gap? If the apostles you ever wondered, die, like, what goes on right after that? What's that first generation after the apostles? What were they Who doing?
1: were the initial converts? Who were these right. people that Paul talks about in the Corinthian church, the Ephesian church? What were they like? What did they do? Did they write anything? Did they? And so, I mean, I think this is this is a super interesting The guys series. that we talk
0: about too, they knew yeah. the apostle John. They yep. knew Paul, or at least their parents did. They're, they're one or two generations removed. I mean, yep. that's like you know knowing your grandpa or something or or even just you know your your, your parents and parents the people they hung out with and the yeah. people they hung out with exactly so this is so close to the genesis of christianity that we get a real deep look at what the early christians believed and what's amazing is you find out that what they believe is very consistent to what we believe yep that the core doctrines were very well formed in uh you know a century after the death and resurrection of Christ.
1: That's very reassuring. That's so it, very it reassuring. means that like there was no massive gap between what Paul said and then what you see hundreds of years later, and then right. what we end up believing now. There's a there's a continuity through all those generations.
0: And these are guys who at least knew people who knew Paul. Yeah. So they could have been like if they wrote something crazy. Someone be like, like "That's not what Paul yeah, yeah, said." Yeah, you never said that. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And you see in a lot of these early letters by some of these guys that we're going to talk about, they always refer to the apostles. They go, "No, I got this from Paul." Right. No, no Paul said this. John said mm-hmm. this. We heard this from Peter. This is the, the 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 authority of the apostles is very important. Yep. So that's the coolest thing we see here. We see one. We see the real disciples of the apostles. The actual people learned from them directly, or at least through other. Yep. Close people. Two, we also see the early church's theology that it was very well formed. It wasn't like this took hundreds of years to develop Christianity or any of that. We we see the resurrection. We see the death of Christ. We see the incarnation. All these different things are very early on in the in, in church history. Imagine I think being discipled by Paul
1: or John. would be crazy. That's like, that's high standards. He's I know, like your accountability partner. <laughs> yeah,
0: I know, right? Yeah. And it's like, I was... But imagine the pride, you know? Yeah. Was it side by Paul? That's true. But the third thing is we see how much scripture they quote. I mean, mm. they viewed Paul's letters as scripture. They yeah. viewed it as authoritative for the church. So that means within, again, within a, a century, yeah. within a generation, we see the church has quoting strong doctrines. Quoting books, authoritatively. Yeah. from the scripture. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot that we can learn. Today, we're looking at Polycarp. Yeah. Polycarp sounds like a Pokemon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, he does But <laughs> uh,
0: Polycarp is, uh, he is an elder, a presbyter in the early church. Yep. And he is one of the first martyrs. He might be the first recorded martyr. He is,
1: outside the New Testament. Outside mm-hmm. of
0: the New Testament. Yeah. Um. So he died for his faith.
1: He was born a few years after Paul died. Right. So about between 65 and 70 AD. And so- some scholars suggest that maybe his parents were even evangelized by Paul because he grew up in uh, that part of Asia Minor where Paul was a church planter. And where did people, how did people become Christians? It was either directly through Paul or one of Paul's appointed leaders in the churches in that area. So Polycarp is one or two degrees removed from Paul and actually personally discipled by John, right? which is insane.
0: Right. So Paul... Might have discipled his parents, maybe, because mm-hmm. he says he grew up a Christian. Yep. John directly discipled him. Right, think right, about right. that. Yeah, that, yeah. that means we only have the letters of John. Right. But we don't have like, I mean, think about all those conversations he had with John. Like, right. hey, John, what the heck is this going on with this Revelation book you read or you mm-hmm. wrote? Or, or what were you saying about this? So he actually has you know, access to information that we don't have. Right. He actually knew John. And so when you think about some of these doctrines that he's talking about, they're doctrines that he's actually had discussions with. Sure. They're not just sort of things that popped up into his head or, you know, he just made up. He actually talked to John and developed these ideas and, and, and saw John develop these ideas. Well, And he talks about growing up as a Christian, being born
1: as a Christian, which means that at that point when he was born between 65 and 70 AD, there were families already in existence who were discipling and teaching their newborn kids the Christian faith and right. Christian doctrines. Right. So from the time that Paul died, there were entire institutions and families who, you know, you go to church, you see families teaching their kids, dedicating their kids, all this sort of stuff. That was happening in 65 to 70 AD. Right. And which is like that, that's Pretty insane to think and about.
0: And we, we forget about how historically situated all of this is. We're ta- again, we're talking about real people mm-hmm. with real relationships to each other. These are actual letters written to real communities that existed in history. Right. So we can't pull the history out of the Bible. We can't just sort of read the Bible you know, localized as like these sort of just journal entries or, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. or, or just uh, they're just words that have no time or place. No, this is a historical document. Right. And the letter we're gonna look at today is Polycarp's letter to the Philippians. Yeah. So this is the other letter to the Philippians. Obviously this is not canon, this sure. is not scripture. It's important to say that. It's not inspired by the spirit, but it doesn't, doesn't mean it's not helpful or sure. it doesn't give us insight. Yeah, yeah. And what you'll find is actually a lot of things that he's, all the things that he says in this letter to the Philippians, this epistle mm-hmm. are consistent with the witness of scripture, mm-hmm. consistent with the apostolic teaching and tons of quotes from
1: Paul and the gospels and Peter. And uh, it just shows that these letters were widely circulated and seen as authoritative by even the first generation. So it's not like Paul's letters took a few hundred years to be seen as this is authoritative for the church. But in the, the first generation after the apostles, people are quoting Paul as, no, this is what Jesus wanted us to believe because Paul said it. Or here's what Matthew says about what Jesus said. And so that's true and authoritative and reliable. So the letters of Paul, the gospels, Peter's letters, uh, at one point, even Polycarp says that Paul is is one of the highest authorities for the church. And so, so these guys recognize the authority of the apostles. And it's not like, you know, sometimes you hear this objection that, oh, it was after Constantine or the Roman Empire taking over, or Christianity taking over the Roman Empire, that you get these books as canonical and authoritative, but that's not just not true. Like you see them being received as authoritative from the, from the start, from 65 to 70 AD, right during the lives of the apostles and shortly
0: thereafter. So let's uh, talk a little bit about this letter to the Philippians. So there, again, this is uh, Polycarp, he's an elder, he's a disciple of John, and he's now A bishop, right? He's he's somebody who is uh, in charge of multiple congregations in a region. Smyrna. Smyrna, right? Mm -hmm. So in the region of Smyrna, there's a bunch of little churches and these little churches of elders. And Polycarp is over all of those elders in those little churches. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of an early uh, church model that we see. And this letter he's writing because he was invited by the Philippians Mm -hmm. to come visit. So, he sort of writes this letter ahead of time. And he opens up by saying, this is from Polycarp and the elders with him to the church of God sojourning in Philippi. Yep. Interesting Mm -hmm. word, sojourning. So, Mm -hmm. again, he views the people at Philippi as this world is not your home. Right. We're still in exile. Uh, You guys are sort of this uh, little enclave of believers in the Mm -hmm. midst of the Roman Empire. Yeah. Yeah. And then what you start seeing is all these scripture quotations. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like 75% of it is just quoted from the New Testament. And you hear doctrinal statements. I mean, he quotes uh he, he talks about um, I think it's from First Corinthians, Jesus Christ who endured for our sins even to the suffering of death, whom God raised up having loosed the pains of Hades. Mm-hmm. Is that first Corinthians? I think or? that's from I think that might be from Philippians one five. Philippians one five. Okay. Um, yeah. So <clears throat> what you see is that he has knowledge of the Letter to the Philippians, and yeah. for him to have knowledge, it means that it was probably well circulated. That he, these were yeah. recognized. Yeah. I mean, he would not be quoting this unless the the Church of Philippi took it as gospel, oh, yeah. literally. Yeah, they yeah. took it as authoritative from God. And what do you have here? A, a testimony to the resurrection. God raised up Jesus. He loosed the pangs of Hades, and then right after that, he talks about. How uh, by grace you are saved, yeah. not by works. <laughs> yep. I mean, he's quoting, quoting Ephesians. Yep. Quoting Ephesians. Mm-hmm. And so again, he has access to Paul's letters and he's using them uh, as part of his letter to show that he's in the in the same stream of authority. Not the same level, but sure, the yeah. same stream of authority as the apostle Paul. Well, he even, he even mentions
1: the original letter of Philippians that Paul writes to the church in Philippi and says, my letter is not like that of Paul's to you. But he acknowledges that there are letters that went before. His is just of a different quality right. because it's not right. directly from God. Right. Yeah,
0: yeah. And so you start to see here a recognition of certain letters are canonical. Mm-hmm. Certain letters hold more weight. So it's not like the Bible, you know, the church just said all these documents and then 500 years later, they're like, that one's that one should be authoritative, that one shouldn't. Yeah. There, was <clears> a, <throat> there was a sort of an understanding within the community that certain documents had more weight than others. Um, but again, the, the go ahead. love of money
1: is the root of all evils, quotes that. That's 1 Timothy. Uh, he's pray pray continuously, don't stop praying. First Thessalonians. Uh, there's quotes from the Gospel of Matthew about right. giving to the poor. And it's just his, his knowledge of the New Testament letters. That, that, that's also what's kind of impressive. Like he's just got a... This is clearly someone who like had the equivalent of growing up in Sunday school. He knows all of the letters by heart. He's quoting them just off the top of his head, which is impressive.
0: Yeah. He probably memorized a lot of these things. He also says, uh, he talks about in chapter three in Polycarp's letter, he says, Paul, who when he was among you in the presence of the men of that time taught accurately and steadfastly the word of truth. Now. Notice what he's saying, when mm-hmm. Paul was visiting you. Remember, right, right. these people in Philippi, they either knew Paul or they have relatives who, older yeah. relatives who knew him. So right. this is not like some distant historical figure to them. This is a guy that was in, that's within relatively recent memory for them. So mm. remember when Paul visited your church, right? And also when he was absent, he says that he wrote letters to you. And notice what he says about these epistles, that from the study of these letters, you will be able to build yourselves up in the faith given to you. Hmm. So he sees the power of scripture, essentially. And he sees that the teaching of Paul, you need to study it. You need to remember it. You need to read it because that will build you up in the faith.
1: There's also a couple places where he quotes from the Old Testament. He quotes from Isaiah 52 um, in chapter 10 of his letter. And that's important because Polycarp is also significant. In the early church, there were some Christians who followed a guy called Marcion who basically taught that the Old Testament God is not the God of Christianity and basically that there were two different gods at play. So those who followed Marcion became known as Marcionites and said, the Old Testament is not canon, it's not biblical, it's not a true vision of God. And Polycarp is one of the first Christians to confront that heresy. And so he, he talked to Marcion directly. Um... And he was, he was firm in his arguments for why Christians should accept the Old Testament. There's a continuity between the God of the Old Testament with the Old Covenant and the New Covenant that we see expressed in Christ and delivered through the New Testament writers. So in terms of historical significance, uh, that's another thing to add to the checklist for Polycarp. And so his knowledge, we talked about the New Testament, but he's also very well-versed in the Old Testament as well, quoting from uh, Isaiah in various places. But yeah, he's just in the first... Probably the the most important early figure after the apostles um, or one of a couple would be Polycarp.
0: And like you were saying, his opposition to Marcion is important. I mean, and that's uh, Marcionism, that idea that the Old Testament was written by like an evil God. Yeah, yeah. Is still popular today. Oh yeah, I mean, people talk Shit. about that. People don't like the Old Testament, but here you have an early Christian, mm-hmm. early Christian leader who's going, no, the Old Testament scripture, God breathed, yeah. and it's useful for us. And right. We need to understand it, and we need to read it. And and he, he he speaks in other places about how the apostles and the and, and the the prophets, right? Again, the prophets yeah, yeah. Uh, pointed forth toward the, the gospel. Right? Mm-hmm. He says. Uh, uh, let us serve him with all fear and reverence as he himself commanded us and as did the apostles who brought us the gospel and the prophets who foretold the coming of our Lord. Mm. So he views the Old Testament as prophetic, yeah. as pointing towards the coming of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, so again, he values the Old Testament. Sure. And the Old Testament was valued as scripture by the early church. So he... I mean, we're we're talking a lot about
1: how Polycarp knows a lot of scripture and studied under John and Paul, um, or didn't study under Paul directly, but studied under John. We've done our old dead guy series where we've covered people like Augustine and Aquinas and Calvin, and Polycarp is in a different category. When we look at Augustine, when we look at Calvin, people like this, these are extremely learned, intelligent, brilliant uh, Christians. Polycarp is not that. By his contemporaries and even people who came after him, they thought of him as not a very well-learned man, but he was known for his, his godliness, his faithfulness, his uh, knowledge of scripture, but he was sort of just like a normal person, right? He, he was a pastor. He didn't have the equivalent of a seminary training that didn't exist back then, but he just knew the scriptures well and he was faithful. Um, and you could just see that the Holy Spirit worked in his life to produce that kind of fruit, which ultimately led to him being able to stand fast in the face of martyrdom but he's not like a brilliant doctor of the faith or a brilliant theologian in any sense of the term but it's due to his faithfulness people like him in that early generation that we have continuity that we're able to have creeds and councils and stuff later for brilliant minds to get together so he's he's the father in that sense or one of the church fathers in that
0: sense and that's how the teaching of the church has been preserved it's from absolutely faithful teachers to yeah. other faithful mm-hmm. teachers and uh that's how it survived, you know, and, and he talks about the role of those authoritative teachers and he calls them presbyters hmm. or other places he calls them shepherds right. pastors or whatever. You know, it's all essentially the same thing, but he says, let the presbyters also be compassionate, merciful to all, bringing back those who have wandered, caring for all the weak, neglecting neither widow nor orphan nor poor, but ever providing for that which is good before God and man. Refraining from all wrath, respect of persons, unjust judgment, being far from all love of money. You mentioned that. Not quickly believing evil of any. Not hasty in judgment, knowing that we all owe the debt of sin. So he's describing a mm. pastor. Yeah. And I love, um, the, the, one, the thing that struck me was not quickly believing evil of any. Yeah, Not listening to gossip, not listening to slander of people, or where someone says, this person's like this. Well, you don't quickly believe them. Sure. You give people the benefit of the doubt. You don't use unjust judgment right you you don't respect people in the sense of you're not beholden to people's approval, um but you're also compassionate, you're merciful to all you care about the people who want you hmm. care for the widow, the orphan, and the poor yeah so <clears throat> there's a very like you're saying he he's not just he's he's not just not a doctor of the church or right. a you know brilliant theologian, but he very much is a on the ground you know Working class pastor Mm -hmm. type dude. Yeah. Right? I mean, he's with the people. Mm -hmm. And that's the vision of a pastor from the very, very beginning. Another thing that he has to do as a pastor is he has to defend against false doctrine. And this Mm kind of ties into what you were talking about with Marcion. But he says in chapter seven, for everyone who does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is an antichrist. Right. Now, notice what he says. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Mm-hmm. So there's the incarnation. Right. That Jesus Christ was a human being, right? And he basically says that if you reject the incarnation, you are antichrist. You're a false teacher. Mm-hmm. So the early church had what was called a rule of faith. They had this sort of standard of teaching that was passed down orally. Right. Understood, you know. Paul and Peter and all them and James, when, when, when the New Testament wasn't written yet, they were going around teaching people the basic ideas of the Christian faith. Right. And it was that record, that tradition that helped the church root out, okay, if you're saying that Jesus was just a ghost, if you were saying that he wasn't God, that goes against the the written down, codified beliefs that the apostles had told us.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, there there were groups of early Christians saying that sort of stuff, which is why John and Polycarp uh, were saying this. And so here you can directly see the link between John and Polycarp, where you've got John who's preaching against the Antichrist right. and, and affirming that Jesus did come in the flesh, right. against those early Christians or early groups of Gnostic Christians or border Christians who were saying Jesus came, but he only appeared to look like a man; he wasn't right. actually there in the flesh, and so. From the start, there was that heresy, and Polycarp is defending against it as well. And so you can see both his pastoral role and his role
0: of guarding the sheep against false doctrine pretty clearly in this letter. And it's fascinating how he's, uh, he's so well versed in these ideas. And one of the points we made earlier is, again, the early church seems to have a very, very robust, strong foundation in doctrine. Yeah. And... They didn't all have seminary degrees. I mean, most of them couldn't read, but how do they know this? Well, they had hymns, they Mm -hmm. had songs, they had sayings. You even see hints of that in like 1 Corinthians 15. Mm -hmm. Imagine if somebody said, you know, uh, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of Canada, and you'd be like, whoa, that's wrong, Yeah, right? Why? Because you've remembered like the basic values and ideas of our country are encoded in the Pledge of Allegiance. And we've said it over and over again. So whenever we hear something different- it's actually we go, a really good example. That's strange. Yeah. Of course it's a good example. <laughs> so, well, in the same way, you have these Christian sayings, these Christian ideas, probably verses from- Oh yeah. Scripture that mm-hmm. were popular with people, yep. to where if you said something different, yep. you'd be like, that's not right, it's not mm-hmm. what Paul said. So there's a built-in sort of safety net against false teaching. And I think that's what he's saying here. If you don't confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, Right, that seems to be it's a very a doctrinal stand. Yep. Yeah, It'd be like saying, well, wait a minute, what are you talking about he didn't come in the flesh? Mm. That's, that's, that goes against everything, sure. our tradition, everything we've said about him. And uh, again, he, we're, we're gonna talk about this guy later, Ignatius, but- uh, Yeah, he references him a lot. He references Ignatius, mm-hmm. he talks about, um, he says, I beseech you, and he, he's basically giving examples of martyrs to the Philippians. He says, now I beseech you all to obey the word of righteousness. And to endure with all the endurance, which you also saw before your eyes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you saw these guys do this endure suffering in yeah. front of you, not only in the blessed Ignatius and Zosimus and Rufus, but also in others among yourselves and in Paul himself and in the other apostles. Yeah. It seems like what he's saying is one, Paul got martyred. Yep. And some other other apostles did too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but two, they were, they were witnesses to this. They right. under, it was common knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he says, I want you to view these people as examples for you. These guys went before you. This is an example for what it means to be sojourners in Philippi, yeah. to be the church in the midst of the Roman Empire. Well, ultimately
1: he he ends up becoming a martyr as well. Yeah. And his his martyrdom account probably elements of legend accrued to it. There's stories of his body, so he was He was sentenced to be burned uh, in the Roman Colosseum yeah. or in some sort of Colosseum. And uh, some of the legends say his body didn't burn, and so he was stabbed. Some people say that they saw arcs of fire. Some people say that a, whole, uh, a dove landed. Can you have or, that
0: happen in my funeral?
1: <laughs> what? Sparks of fire? Sparks of fire. And a dove? dove? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then someone stabs you. <laughs> and then someone stabs me
0: <laughs> for good measure.
1: so dark. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, apart from, it's possible that those things happen. I mean, can God do those things? Sure. Uh what what we do know for sure is that he was martyred. Uh, it's, it's unclear exactly when. Some people put him in the realm of Marcus Aurelius during that time of the emperor. Gladiator. Maybe a little bit later. Yeah, the gladiator one.
0: What if he had met Russell Crowe? <laughs> I'm not talking about the character. I'm the saying Spaniard what if Russell Crowe went, went back in time, <laughs> so he could make the documentary Gladiator?
1: Wow, that was. Yeah, uh, yeah, think about that. What a great movie. You know, there's there's a Polycarp movie. We discovered this yesterday yeah. while we were looking through YouTube. Uh, I
0: don't probably not going to be
1: very good. Probably not. No. But, but yeah, he was he was a martyr. Uh,
0: and he also, you know, he's a martyr, but it's important to see that he wasn't, he was a martyr who was also a bishop of the church. So yeah. he, was a, he was a leader in the mm-hmm. church who was a martyr. Right. And uh, he was a leader in the church who also had to manage the affairs of a lot of the issues in the church. Hmm. What's interesting uh, at the end, of his letter to the Philippians in, in chapter eleven, he actually he writes about some personal people. He's kind of like Paul. Paul Paul yeah. straight up calls out people and yeah, goes, "Discipline yeah. these people!" Right? We should do that more today. We should do that more, right? <laughs> uh, he talks about Valens, right? Who was once an elder, a presbyter among you. So this was a former elder, yeah. um, and apparently he's either he seems to have fallen away from faith, or, or, or yeah. yeah, or or committed some some really really uh, kind of gruesome sin or something like that. And he's basically talking and saying, man, I'm, I'm, I'm broken up over this. I'm really distraught that, that Valens has basically turned away from the faith. Mm-hmm. And he's warning the other elders, keep yourselves from evil, keep yourselves from uh, idolatry. And he also says, man, I'm sorry for Valens' wife. Mm-hmm. And he said, and he asked, may the Lord grant them true repentance. And here's his advice. So he says, this, this couple seems to be in deep sin or turning away from the faith. And they are being publicly excommunicated, like, yeah. you know, and he says, but elders, when you handle this, be moderate in this matter. Right. Don't regard them as enemies, yeah, yeah. but call them back as fallible and strained members that you may make whole the body of you all from this, from in doing this, you edify yourself. So there's that, he's very pastoral. He's saying, no, we've got to call sin what it is. Yeah. We've got to make it public that this is going on. But also, we do this so that they would not be regarded as enemies, but that hopefully, by setting them outside the church, they would be they would be reunited with the church. My
1: translation says, um, after he talks about Valens who fell away, he says, I exhort you, therefore, to abstain from covetousness and be chaste. So maybe this was, uh, maybe was an, sexual... an elder falling away yeah, sexually. And then he says, I feel be. sorry for his wife sort of thing. Yeah, I don't know. So, th- th- I mean, Paul talked about this stuff in the Corinthian church. He's dealing with it in the Philippian church. It seems just sexual sin. No one's ever totally immune from it. Right. And it's been and there from the start.
0: First century yep. the second century. Mm-hmm. It happens now. Yeah. And again, these are real people. This is a real historic couple that was really sinning and, yep. and uh, Polycarp had to really deal with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I hope that that's something that opens your eyes a little bit. All of our listeners out there to, to think about that, to be like, yeah, this is history. Mm-hmm. You know, this really happened. And uh, hopefully it gives you a confidence in the word of God that it be, that the early church trusted in it, that the doctrines that we hold dear were very early on. Yeah. And that we can trust the tradition of the church, that it has been preserved, not just in scripture, but through the passing on of good teaching. Right. From Polycarps all the way down to the present day. Good stuff. Sounds good. Thank you guys for listening. Remember, subscribe to the That I'll Preach podcast. Mm-hmm. We're only going to be on the Forex Midtown podcast for a few more weeks, so make sure you make the switch over. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you guys next week.